everyone, and welcome to another Scots We Hate podcast. And tonight we're going to be talking about Rhymer Books, a small independent publisher founded in 2020. And we're not only joined by founder Ian Spring, but also by two of their authors, Kirsty Wishart and former podcast guest Graham Laroni. Hello, everyone. Well, uh, Ian, let's start with you. Um, Starting a small publisher in Scotland at the moment is already bucking a trend, I would say. To do it in 2020, well, I mean, you're really throwing some challenges in front of yourself. Can you give some background and take us through the story of Rhymer? Sure. Um, It it was mostly, as most things are in life, accidental that we started at this time. And I didn't really know that so many other small publishers were setting up at the same time, to be honest. Uh, My background is in uh, university education and I have some experience of publishing through university presses before I took early retirement. Uh, And I originally, I wanted just on my own to set up a little enterprise to publish a few books on folk song because that's one of my academic areas. Uh, (laughs) And I did publish a couple. Uh, But then sometime at the beginning of last year, I was talking to, to, to Ruby McCann and she said she'd be interested in helping, simple as that, by Scottish authors and Scottish themes. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. And uh, it has developed in various ways, not all of which we would have foreseen. Uh, one of the first things we intended to do was to publish some poetry uh, based on the emerging spoken word scene yeah. in the cities mostly. Uh, of course, that was kibosh because as soon as we decided to do that, the spoken word scene came to an abrupt end and still has not taken up off again. Sure. Uh, but we have published a couple of books of, of poetry, uh, two by current poets in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Uh, we've also published a historic collection, if you like, which I edited along with Professor Brett Freeman from the Royal Scottish Conservatoire of the poems of Mary Simon, a, a very uh, good poet who wrote in Scots largely during the First World War, but who has never had a collected edition of her poems published until, until we did so at the end of last year. So that's one of the areas we, we've urged on. We've also started doing crime and we've started doing mountaineering and not necessarily with deliberate attention, but looking at the people we knew in the books we got and we've followed those, those areas to some extent so far. We've managed in the last year to produce 16 new books, and with a couple on the back list from uh, published before, we have 20. I mean, I think we have 20 on our list. You know, that is quite astonishing. I mean, it's a small publisher, as you say yourself, and, and Ruby, as far as I can tell, are kind of behind it. And you've, you design your own covers, and do you outsource to editors, or is, are you editing yourselves as well? We don't outsource anything, <laughs> apart, from, <laughs> apart from some friends do uh, unpaid work, proofreading for us. That is the only outsourcing we do. I do the website as well and maintain that, designed and maintained the website. So, uh, no, we, we, we literally do everything. As far as the production of the book goes, I do it all from initial design through to completion uh, myself. Uh, Ruby does the marketing and the social networking, and uh, is involved with quite a few people in the literary scene. More than I am, and I, I actually don't know that many people in the Scottish literary scene, maybe because I worked, I've worked at different places and different, you know, and, uh, 
I worked in England and Wales for, for, for quite a few years. Uh, so that's that's the way we, we bodge along, and we manage, it seems to work fine so far. Well, I was going to say, you, you must be doing something right, because you were um, given the... It was at the country finalist in the... British Book Awards, Small Press of the Year. That's a quite incredible to do that in your first year. Indeed. Uh, we were astonished <laughs> when I discovered <laughs> when, when I discovered by looking at I got up in the morning and switched off my computer and I hadn't actually heard this until I had several emails from uh, printing companies <laughs> saying, we see you you know, awarded this accolade. Would you like to use us to print your work? So that's how, how I found out. And uh, we were delighted. And that has really made us because since then we've had a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people know about us now. Uh, I'm kind of so. quite surprised you don't have a printing press out the back garden that you're uh, printing. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Kirsty, let's uh, move to you. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your novel, The Knitting Station, which I think is your debut novel, isn't it? Um, yes, it is, although it's the third I've actually written, but yes, it's the first to get published. But it's been described variously as John Buchan on mushrooms, and um, Ruby the publicist described it as Nancy Drew meets one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which I think is a pretty <laughs> fair description of it. I hope that appears on the front of future editions. But um, yeah, it's sort of a, a kind of Buchanesque romp. It's set in the, the start of the 1960s and it's about a group of patients of mental health issues that are taken up to this remote island of Tharn that bears a passing resemblance to Fair Isle. It's famed for its, its knitwear and they're going to undergo a form of knitting therapy while there. Um, but the main character, Hannah Richard, she's a former Bletchley Park code breaker. She begins to suspect that they might be getting invaded by Russian agents, but of course she can't be sure if this is actually happening or it's a symptom of her madness. So, yes, there are various adventures that follow. I mean, actually, I've got I've got the cover here, and even on the cover of the current version, it says a very Scottish saga of counter espionage, knitting, and sheep. So already, yeah, you know, you're kind of drawn on. by that. <laughs> That was me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, when I started reading it and you said Hannah Richards, and then I was like, Richard, Hanny, you've got the, the Buchan links uh, there. Uh -huh. It's interesting, actually, for to read a book that is so clearly influenced by um, a John Buchan because he's kind of a writer that's gone out of fashion, I would say. Yeah, and he is a bit of a, he's a, bit of a problematic writer. I yes. think I did... I, did a, a PhD years and years ago and usually when you end up writing about a writer you either end up loving them or having issues with them and I think this novel is a way of me working through my issues with John Buchan in a way because he's he's great in terms of plot and carrying you along it's the politics of it that might be a bit kind of dubious and with Hannah I kind of wanted a, a counterpoint to a hero like Richard Haney, who's very confident, very self-assured, knows his territory, is always in charge. And Hannah's kind of the complete opposite of that. A lot of the time she doesn't know what she's doing. She's not very sure of herself. She's not sure of the terrain surrounding her. And yet she still succeeds. She still manages to get through. So yeah, I kind of wanted to write a book that Buchan would enjoy and read, but feel guilty for doing so. <laughs> so 
It's interesting you should say that because I was at an event at Edinburgh Book Festival a few long years ago now, and a kind of stushy broke out about Ian, about John Buchan, um, about his kind of politics of the past and everything. And I thought there's not many writers these days that will cause people to kind of, uh, you know, slam their seats down and walk out, which did happen as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, you know, you've been published elsewhere. Your short stories have been published in various collections and journals. How was it for you um, working with Reimer and bringing out this debut? What, what was your experience? Um, it's been interesting because it's that making that transition from being an emerging writer for years and years and years to suddenly emerging. And also because the in works so quickly, it was a bit of a, a shock. It's having to kind of adjust to the fact of having a book actually out there and also in, in such sort of strange circumstances at the moment. Um, but it's great sort of seeing a, a life kind of evolve beyond your own head. It's a, it's it's odd. And or appearing in things like this, it's kind of adjusting to, to that, to people actually being interested. Because you're so used to kind of working away without getting any kind of direct response. So, but when I did get in touch with Ian and he said he was aware of my work, I think that does send a message out to all writers that you might feel as if you're writing into the void slightly, but all that you put out is perhaps gathering attention, is perhaps getting an audience, and that can open door to you when you just, it's all about getting the right person at the right time, and I was just very fortunate enough to, to hit Rhyme or Books and to get in touch with Ian at just the right time, um, and yeah, it's fantastic to see the knitting station out there. Yes, if I, if I could... Yep. Add to that. I was familiar with Kirsty's work from the One O'Clock Gun and also her essay in The Seven Wonders of Scotland. I had abstracted a bit, I'd taken a bit out to use for something I was writing. So I'd, I'd stolen a quotation from her before I actually knew her uh, personally. So I, I, I knew she was a, a talented writer and I was delighted to hear from her. And I think uh, the point you make, Kirsty, is a good one, is that, you know, writers shouldn't feel... Um, shy about sending their work to anywhere that can possibly publish it because people like myself and like Ian uh, you know do read these things and and you know your name does become uh, you know it's not forgotten you know your uh-huh. certain names kind of stick out over the years doing it yeah um, I, so t- Graham turning to yourself you've been published by uh, a few different publishers now yeah. um so what was your uh, first of all tell us about um your uh, fake flowers your book which is out with Rhymer. yeah um thanks yeah um what is i tell you about it just uh, i'm going to read the back blurb, blurb right. there no I, I was i was kind of uh, i had it in my mind after the, the last time we spoke it was my previous book it was called oh marina girl and in my head oh marina girl was uh, i had it in a black and white movie it was the i had a that Coen Brothers movie, The Man Who Wasn't There, or uh, as that kind of vibe. But this book, I wanted to go to the other extreme. I saw it in my head as kind of a technicolour kaleidoscope summary, and I wanted it to be light. So I had that kind of caper in my mind. And go back to what Kirsty was saying about Bucking. I've never actually read Bucking, but um, I've seen Hitchcock, um, 39 Steps, and the thing I always love, I mean, I love Hitchcock, but the, the big cinematic, finale and things all come together in a big grand thing and that very much kind of informed fake flowers uh, I kind of wanted to bring various strands of what I thought was going on in the world, it was kind of written it started or it came into formation during the Trump kind of fake news era and, just, and it was 
And I've always found that kind of blurred boundary between fact and fiction of interest for me, just as, as a subject to, in some kind of tangential way to kind of feed into that. So it, it kind of evolved from there, just that and the, just the, the strangeness of reality. So that brings in this kind of surreal element to it. And it seemed to just, uh, as I wrote, I don't write, but I don't plot things out, but the plot kind of evolved, seemed to some kind of natural way. Yeah, because I have to say, when I read the first, uh, the foreword in it even, I thought, oh yeah, yeah. this is a Graham Laroni book. You never <laughs> <laughs> what to expect and, uh, you know, all sorts of things happening uh, there. Yeah. But in terms of uh, then um, working with Ian and Reimer, how was your experience of that? And did it differ to what had gone before? Uh, yeah, similar to Kirsty, I was like a whirlwind. Um, I'd been, you mentioned, I'd kind of I've been with other publishers before, and it's been, uh, when was, the last one was uh, Contraband, Saraband with Sarah Hunt, and it was very immediate uh, when she read, uh, I was on the sludge pile, and she read for chapter and phoned me up, enthused. And same kind of thing, I don't know what it was, I emailed uh, Ian uh, and I'd forgotten to send a sample, so he said, send me, or just send the book, because I've given him the word count, it's a short book. And he just said, send the whole thing, and the next day he said, I'm going to let Ruby read it, and within like 24 hours, uh, they said, well, we want to do it. And I don't think I'm exaggerating, but I think within a month it was edited and pretty much gone through an editing process and it was there to go, I mean, it, was, it has been a whirlwind which I'm grateful for. It's great to do that because I think it's really frustrating if you can get a book published and then it seems to be the normal thing. It's another nine months until it actually hits the bookshops. So. Yes, mo most publishers say it takes nine months to publish a book. We try to, uh, to fit it into nine weeks if possible. Or nine days. You know, I don't think it takes nine months to, to publish a book, to be perfectly honest, if you're a um, I guess it depends how many uh, books you're doing in a row, but I think you're probably right. But it still seems like an incredible day. It's an incredible difference to go from, you know, the, the publishing norm in inverted commas to what you're doing. Was this some, is this a way you wanted to approach it from the beginning? Ian? Oh, sorry. I, I, I thought you were asking. Uh, Graham, uh, not necessarily. <laughs> uh, not necessarily, but to some extent, we were different from most publishers in that the coronavirus left us in limbo and we didn't have to fit into the maybe normal schedule, or annual schedule of publishers, you know, with a spring list and an autumn list and so on, which has gone a bit out of the window. So my intention, I just, I actually wanted to just establish quite a good list in a, quite a short period of time. So I just uh, went on with it. It just requires... Yeah, that could work in your favour uh, the last year rather than uh, uh, against it. I hadn't thought about that at all. Well, the, yes, there wasn't a lot else to do as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the question is, how do you choose who you're going to publish? Because... There are a lot of writers out there who are looking. I get uh, questions every week about, oh, could you help me find someone who might publish my work? So how did you choose not just uh, these two fine writers, but the others that you've worked with? Uh, we, we didn't get many submissions until we were in the uh, British Book of the Year Awards, and then we've had, had quite a lot. Uh, we look at them all, and we get back to everyone within two weeks. Uh, 
to, to be honest, quite a lot of submissions we get are not suitable because they're not within our remit. You know, yeah, for example, Scottish groups we say we get a lot that are not Scottish, etc. Uh, but we've had some good submissions, and I just uh, I, I just pick things I like, I'm afraid, and, and Ruby likes too. So we both look at them. Ruby looks at the poetry and fiction more than I do, and I look at the non-fiction, and uh, we see where we'll go. Uh, so it's not a very calculating process. It just seems to be the way it goes. A couple of books we've got that have followed on from books we've already published. Right. We published the excellent The Goat Fell Murder, which is a true crime story by Carl Smith about a Victorian murder in Ireland. And uh, just on the back of that, somebody bought the book, uh, T.A. Stewart, uh, who has written a book called Scottish Canal Crimes. And uh, she phoned me up and she sent me a sample and I said, sounds good, let's go for it. And I said to her, the Goldfell murder, as I produced it, is a good model for what I'd like. And she did. She modelled it on that. And uh, it's just out. And I recommend it thoroughly. It was uh, and I spread in the Sunday Herald uh, last week uh, quite a lot about it. Uh, and another, uh, the most successful book we've published so far has been The Black Coon, right. which is uh, a massive history of climbing in sky by Calum Smith also. And it uh, it has had tremendous reviews all over the place. It's a big book, door-stopping type of book. Uh, and on the back of that, strange enough, a lot of mountaineers uh, read it, and it has had plaudits from famous mountaineers like Derek, Derek Gray and Jim Perrin and so on. And the back of that, Roger Hubank got in touch with me, having read The Black Coon and sent me his book, which is called The Way of the Coon, oh, yes. uh, which is a tremendous novel set in Sky in the Coon in 1938 on the eve of war. And uh, Roger is now 86, and he's had novels published over the last 40 years. He's a prize-winning novelist and an excellent novelist, but I'm astonished and uh, I'm pleased to say that at the age of 86, I think he's produced his best ever uh, novel. It's a tremendous read, and we're hoping to do very well with that, and we've already had quite a lot of of interest in it. So the books follow on, I'm saying, from, you know, other books were published. So it's not so much a, a, a planned road you follow or something. <laughs> you just got various paths as uh, things turn up and uh, other things have turned up. Recently, I was just uh, speaking to him today. I had, I'm, I'm doing a book by Phil, uh, Phil, 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 what's his name? I'll just check that. Phil Vasily. Uh, who's already, he's a, an author known for, he wrote the biography of Walter Tull. Right. He was the first professional black footballer. Oh, yes. UK. He played for Rangers. And uh, he's also written a, a biography. His brother, Edward Tullwarnock, and it's another extraordinary tale. He uh, came from a slave plantation, his family, mm -hmm. and he came to this country and became a major practitioner in the NHS. Uh, he worked in dental surgery, I believe, and he uh, he was also a a footballer of professional standard and a golfer <laughs> of a high standard. And he was, but he was instrumental, more importantly, he was instrumental in supporting black rights at the beginning of last century. Uh, so that'll be coming out in September, I hope. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that too. So just something like that, that I saw and immediately saw that I saw, thought that that's the sort of thing we would, we'd like to do. It's fascinating to hear because it's that idea of, I like this, this speaks to me, we're going to go with this, you know, and I think that's what often other publishers get tied up in what they should be publishing and maybe what they shouldn't be publishing. 
and you know that can cause issues. It's very interesting to hear you say that Ruby's been looking after the the literature, the fiction, and you've been looking at the nonfiction because you're a writer yourself, Ian. And in fact, we've got a collection of your short stories here, mm -hmm. the Stone yes. Mirror, which is a fascinating uh, collection. I've just kind of dipped into it, but um, so these stories. Let's talk a little bit about the Stone Mirror because I think it fits into what uh, Kirsty and Graham are doing as well. Um, it's, I would say they're quite, they're literary in the, it references other authors, it references other styles quite, you know, it sets out in the author's note, which is a fascinating piece of reading in its own right. And I was thinking that both Kirsty's book and Graham's book do something similar. There's references to, or at least allusions to other writers or other artists uh, in, in Graham's in particular. Mm. Can you see a Rhymer book, a Rhymer writer emerging? Is it, is it, you know, it's areas of your interest that you think these are the writers I want to publish? I think that might be true to some extent. You know, I immediately liked Kirsty's book because it was a bit wacky and offbeat, and I immediately liked Graham's book for the same reason, and possibly uh, it, it ties in with my my own writing. I mean, The Stone Mirror is a, a slightly weird book. It's gothic in, in nature. It's what they used to be called metafiction or fictocriticism and so on. Uh, so it can be read on two levels. I've, I've tried to make them stories that anyone could read as a, a simple narrative. But there's also a lot of things that a more uh, literary reader who's familiar with contemporary literature, mostly 20th century literature, might pick up from them. Uh, but I'm glad you like that particular collection. I was a bit flummoxed as how to market it <laughs> because it doesn't fit into any, any established genre very easily, but it'll find its way, I'm sure. Well, it goes back to something we spoke about earlier, um, actually before we started recording, if I remember rightly, is that um, short stories are a hard sell, apparently, and literary fiction, so people tell me, is a hard sell. But I'm so glad people at you are publishing because it's absolutely what I want to read. And that goes for uh, Kirsty's writing and Graham's writing. If I can go back to Kirsty and Graham, maybe Kirsty, you first. Were you aware of what Reimer were doing with other writers? And was that something that uh, appealed to you? Um, I was, I think, because I got in quite kind of early. I mean, it was complete sort of and you know, that I got in touch with Rhymer. It did seem as if you know, they would be interested in perhaps quite offbeat topics, but I'd actually I'd written a proposal for a book on psychogeography that had actually been rejected by another publisher and got in touch with Rhymer purely on the off chance, thinking, well, this might be something that they've, they're interested in. And much to my shock and horror, the response was instant, yes, we would be interested in this. And again, it just seemed, I've, I've been so used to getting in touch with publishers and waiting nine months for them to say no, that to have that pretty much instant response was was great. So I have to admit, I'm still to get stuck properly into the psychogeography books. I keep on trying to put Ian off by giving him novels in the hope that he'll be distracted. Yeah. I'm still working on that other thing. But I do think having read some of um, Ian's short stories, I think there is a, a similar aesthetic there. Um, so it will be interesting to see the, the future writers that are produced. I think there is, there is, you can see similar threads and similar strands and interests being developed, I think, within all our work, which is, which is fascinating. 
Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree. I, I kind of read all three, or at least dipped into all three over a short period of time and started making kind of those connections. Graham, what about yourself? Uh, do, did you see that there were kindred spirits at Rymer? Um, well, I hope so. And it, it certainly seemed to be the case. I hadn't read um, Ian's book until I'd kind of been signed up and joined. And I, I was kind of Honestly, uh, reading Stone Mirror, it was like reading Alistair Gray's short stories for the first time. It was like reading Discovering Unlikely Stories mostly, or Italo Calvino. I was kind of that blown away by by some of them. So I was like, great, I'm home again. But mind you, I felt home in every publisher I've had. and <laughs> had them thrown away. But uh, no, I, felt, uh, I thought I was really encouraged. I've always tried to keep one eye on what's when you're trying to find a publisher. And then I don't know, I'd obviously been sleeping for a year or six months, but I discovered Rhymer and Leamington Books at the same time. I thought, wow, these sound like just the kind of Scottish publishers, uh, independent Scottish publishers that I, I want to see, whether it's for, or, or they're publishing books I want to read, uh, whether it's mine or not. So, I mean, yeah, I was delighted when it, that kind of just maybe idiosyncratic and, you know, I've been, I've been sent, I'd sent out fake flowers to, um, literary agents and you know I don't think I even got the courtesy of a rejection it's just you know you're just pissing against the wind doing that or I, I find that very soul destroying so this is it's been great and yeah I think I think uh, it's great to have, if, if um, independent publishers can keep the if they can make the, the budgeting work they can into they, they can publish these kind of more adventurous or riskier or more idiosyncratic or literary or whatever kind of books that maybe the mainstream publishers would shy away from. It's, it's why this conversation is so uplifting for me is because not only is it a new Scottish publisher, Ian, but you've, you're publishing, well, two writers who I did know in, in Kirsty and Graham, but your own work as well, which as, as Graham says, it's a terrific collection of short stories, which um, brings to mind all sorts of, of my favourite short story um, writers, and which, as I say in your author's note, you kind of doff the cap to that, yeah. you know, your influence as well, which is, uh, which is great. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you, you mentioned briefly you're looking at uh, non-fiction as well. Do you want to say a little bit more about that so that people have an yeah. idea? Yeah. First of all, could I just say that we have very close relationships with other independent publishers in Scotland. So uh, with Peter Burner of uh, Leamington Books, we're planning a collection of uh, Scottish Gothic literature later this year. And uh, close, close connections with our other publisher in Perth, Tipamere Books, uh, Paul Pillipu uh, runs. So we, we try to make connections wherever we can and do things together and support each other. Uh, but in terms of non-fiction, Yes, probably. I was expecting to get more non-fiction. For example, after uh, the success of the climbing books uh, we had published, I posted everywhere on Facebook where there was a climbing group or a climbing interest type group saying, I'd like more books about climbing in Scotland or the Scottish mountains. You know, anything except a guidebook, but, yeah, you know, travelogues. And I didn't get any. <laughs> I didn't get any uh, submissions at all from that. So that's still something I'd like to do. Yeah. Uh, just as I like to do more psychogeography, as as, uh, as Kirsty mentioned. Uh, but non-fiction, as I say, the Scottish Canal Crimes, I'm very pleased with that. I think that's a nice book that's just out. The next non-fiction book that's coming out is a great piece of academic work, which might be a little harder to sell. It is a biography of the Honourable 
Ruri Erskine of Mar, who nobody has ever heard of, <laughs> but was quite an important figure in the early years of last century in the national movement, and especially uh, in, la in language. He was a, he was a proponent of, of Gaelic and Scottish nationalism. Uh, and that's a very well-written book by, by Jerry Cairns. We're also going to publish... Uh, Jim Ferguson's written a book of poetry for us, but we're also going to publish his uh, book about Robert Tannehill, Yes, the page of poet, uh, an academic, purely academic book. Again, there's not a great market for these books, but they deserve to be out there somehow. But if you aren't asking about nonfiction, yes, I'd like more submissions of of nonfiction titles that we consider of a Scottish interest. I'm quite um, surprised about um, the people not submitting things about the natural world and and hill walking and stuff because it seems to me quite a kind of burgeoning. Area, you know, I've spoken to the writer and walker John D. Byrne a couple of times, who's done just that, um, and it does seem to like an area that uh, people are increasingly interested in. Perhaps even more so as we're now un coming out of lockdown and people are wanting to get to the hills and understand a bit more about mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, you need to find the next. Nancy. Well, maybe somebody will listen to listen to this and come up with something. But I'd, I'd appreciate any prospective titles in that area. And uh, first Kirsty and then uh, Graham, what are, what are you planning next? What's next for both of you? Um, well, hopefully, because he's he's done the cover for it already, Ian will be um, um, yeah, producing the next novel, The Projectionist, hopefully. So we'll see how that goes. Um, possibly there might be another novel about for heroes, but at the moment I'm working on a novel that's about sort of the green man visiting Edinburgh and the effect that he has on the, the wildlife and what have you. So, yeah, and of course, and the psychogeography book, I'm working on that as well. So that's me. I can't think of any publishers who would have the cover before they had the novel. That really is an interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, I don't think it is, actually. I often do that because I think seeing something, I, I like... To, to envisage something and you know what's it used to say WYSIWYG what you see is what you get uh, and actual fact when I write I often write directly onto a, a design page that's fascinating so I can see it, it anyway. uh, so when I do the cover it, I think it gives me a an idea you know a concept you can visualize, start to visualise the, the whole book and of course it's useful for putting on your website as a pre-publication of, of course and Graham yourself what uh, are you planned next uh, I'm actually I'm revisiting a book that I wrote uh, in between Fake Flowers and Omarina Girls called The Paradise of Three Souls. Yeah. And at the time, uh, I thought it was finished and I thought it was great. And then I, I reread it uh, about a month ago and thought, this needs a complete rewrite. So that's what I'm uh, in the midst of doing. I think it's, it's got, I think it can still work. Uh, well, I, I, I think it can. So I'm going to give it another go. Uh, I find that uh, before, I mean, it's, it's always once I find my books need edited and then re-edited and then edited again. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get that into a format that I can maybe present to you in maybe about six months from now, something like that. It's, that's interesting. Do you ever feel that you completely leave your books behind? Because I know some writers don't. Not until they're in print. <laughs> and then, And then even then... Uh, then I try not to read them, um, but uh, no, actually, I mean, uh, 
No, I, I, well, it's, it's, I think we had this conversation last time. I think as, as a writer, we're going to try to see what Kirsty says. I, I think it's finished. It's a masterpiece before I send it to the publisher. And then this worked very quickly when uh, Ruby read Fake Flowers and she came back within 24 hours and absolutely nailed half a dozen kind of plot points that were needed addressed, which I hadn't seen and having, you know, given her the third, fourth, fifth draft. And I was like, ah, it's then so obvious. You need, you need that yes. outside. And I guess I'm guilty of, I do like let friends and family read it, but maybe you need that real outside perspective, I think, from people you don't have a personal relationship with. Uh, and I enjoy that, almost that, that collaborative process when it gets to that stage, when you're really refining it. And uh, Ian, to go back to you then, what uh, what's next for Reimer, apart from what you've mentioned already? Well, we've got quite a few things in the pipeline. Uh, one thing I should mention is we've got a great book by Nick Aitken uh, called Drystone, which is about making drystone, drystain dikes. But it's an enormous book. It's a big coffee table book, beautifully illustrated. Fantastic. And that'll be coming out. The Royal Scottish Geographical Society are supporting us in that, and we're going to put on a lecture in, uh, in Perth about it. But uh, Nick lives in, in the States and it's been difficult to find a, time, a way for him to come here yet. So that's on the pipeline. We've got three quite big novels, I think, that are the thing. I've got a couple of poetry books, but there are three big novels. There's a projectionist by Kirsty, which I have high hopes for. Uh, I think it, it'll do as well, if not better, as the, the knitting station. I really like it, uh, which we'll, we'll get out, we'll get prepared over the summer. Um, Stuart Campbell has written a book about the Buccanites, which is a, a historical novel about Elspeth Buchan, who had a weird religious sect in Scotland in the late uh, 18th century, called The Women, Women Closed with the Sun. Uh, and I'm very hopeful for that. And uh, my good colleague, Simpson Grius, <laughs> has penned a crime novel <laughs> uh, called The Counterfeit Detective, which is a big novel of five or 600 pages. And it's a sort of... Um, Literally international gothic thriller featuring time travel and Victorian pornography. So that you can anyway. That sounds fascinating. Well, listen, thank you all for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and I can't wait to see what Reimer Books do next. Thanks, Alistair. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Alistair. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Mm -hmm.